Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to God's Planning. I'm Father Gregory, uh, joined here by Father Bonaventure. That's me. Father Bonaventure, um, we're recording this episode and then we'll post it at a later date. And at that later date, yeah, exactly. This is live, but in the future, um, at that later date, you will have begun your second, third semester of PhD studies at the Catholic university of America. Yeah. Um, seeing as you have not yet experienced them, but may come soon to experience them. I basically know what they will be. How's, how's the semester going? Yeah, It's going great. Um, we're online, uh, early in the semester, like during, say, hypothetically, this recording session, yep. um, there was a pot- possibility that we would actually be in class. Okay. Um, but I'm going to say that now, <laughs> live, um, we are online entirely because five people got COVID and, uh, and the school decided to just pull that back. That's what, Now, I don't, I mean, I know that's true in so much as this is live in the future, mm-hmm. but right now I wouldn't have known that in the past. You wouldn't have. So I wasn't sure. But I would say that, yes, we're starting off um, uh, two weeks of online stuff which was happening which was like last semester except i have to say starting in person and going online was easy or easier because you already knew your class and you had the dynamics down because when you go online as people i imagine a lot of people have done zoom sessions by now uh it's a whole new dynamics like how to jump in on top of people and you have no personality so you're not like offending them in this way this sort of thing Right. But then, but starting entirely online, um, I predict, given that this is live, that this was difficult um, <laughs> because we didn't know, you know, you did, I didn't know all my classmates in the same way. And so you don't have the social cues of knowing like, oh, she's just not talking because she doesn't talk that much as opposed to like, oh, she's not talking because she feels like aggressed and disappointed and frustrated that we're all talking over top of her mm. or, or he's not talking this sort of thing. So I can predict that um, that'll be more interesting mm. at the start of it. Um, it was when it was, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to that. And this year is the year of comps. So I've been reading uh, the whole history of philosophy from uh, pre-Socratics up to WB V.O. Quine. Um, so just getting the whole compass of philosophy, which is nice to see it. And it's, it's grandeur. It's like when we took, uh, STB, so uh, the sacred the Bachelor of Sacred Theology comprehensive exams. You've taken five years of theology or four years, and then you have to regurgitate it on, <laughs> uh, on, for 12 hours. And that's what we do for these comps, for these things. And it's nice to see the whole kind of synoptic vision, because sometimes you're just so close to the details. But it's nice to see like large trends and kind of repeats and like, oh my gosh, this is just back again. And it turns out that it is just all footnotes to Plato, um, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, these are so wild times. A lot of people are attempting in-class instruction. Other, most, most others are attempting hybrid. Some are entirely remote. Uh, but um, yeah, some have ventured uh, difficult things. Some universities have already had a sufficient number of COVID cases as to merit their going entirely virtual. Uh, others have had two-week quarantine hiatuses with reevaluations. Others continue to proceed apace and hope for the best. Yeah, and when this is live, then we'll all be back. Exactly, yeah. So we're in the wild west of virtual education these days, just trying our best to uh, to wrangle in uh, what is, in fact, a rodeo of sorts. That's a bit of a mixed metaphor, but I kept it all, like, genuinely you equestrian. It. Yeah, thank you. You're thank welcome. you. Thank you. Okay, yeah. so speaking of nothing that I've said previously, uh, seamless transition into the topic of this episode. Well, a lot of schools. All right. You know what a lot what happens when you have a lot of schools that are Catholic? Yeah. A lot of Jesuits. Exactly. So in this United States of these United States of America, this, these, I guess that changes with Lincoln. Um, 
we have maybe like 250, if I were to guess, 260 Catholic schools. I looked this up at one point. I think it's around there. Uh, 28 of which are run by the Society of Jesus. That's just in in the United States again. Uh, So the Jesuits are juggernauts of higher education. Certainly they cut their teeth uh, kind of with preparatory schools. Uh, Education of poor boys was was part of the original founding. you, I mean, not not in the same sense of the De La Salian right. brothers, but like the the youth of the, of Rome. That oh, was that was one of the primary focuses at the outset. Um, How far they? Okay. And uh, and now they're they're very much obviously ensconced in higher education. Uh, so post graduate, I guess they say in England. That doesn't matter. Okay, stop. And All right, we, here. And we did a uh, we did an episode about Franciscan and Dominican kind of spirituality right. a little while ago. Um, in 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 time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now we thought, well, why not, why not do a, a Jesuit Dominican one? Because we both have kind of experience with Jesuits. Yeah. Um, sort of thing. So what, what are your, Father Gregory, what are your experiences with Jesuits, personal-wise or other things? What kind of, when you think of Jesuit, you know, what, what, if there, maybe there's an expression or maybe there's a, a little tag or something like that, what, what, what brings to mind about Jesuits? Yeah, a couple, a couple quick things, short stories come to mind. Uh, the summer that I got excited about the, the prospect of becoming a priest it was the summer after my freshman year of college. I was living in Portland, Maine, and I was nannying for my uh, two cousins. You don't have to admit that. Okay. I wasn't nannying for my two cousins. Very good. And uh, we would go to morning mass together most mornings. And uh, there, was one, there was only really one parish in town that had frequent uh, exposition of the Blessed Sacrament, so we would go there often. It was the Jesuit parish Whoa, on the north side Pius. of town, uh, St. Pius X. And while I was there, I, I was impressed by this one particular priest who celebrated the Mass very reverently. And I noticed that he um, purified the vessels with great care. Mm. It was like he believed that it was Christ's blood. I was like, well, wow, this guy is something else. Franciscan. Um, and so uh, I ended up you know, chatting with him a couple times after Mass. And uh, he was very generous to me that summer, just kind of giving me advice about things. And I've subsequently seen him at a variety of conferences here and there, Father Matt Monig, um, mm. who teaches at Boston College. Uh, but a gem, just really good to me. And yeah. then... Um, I guess uh, other things that come to mind are uh, I, I've I've really been impressed by meeting a lot of graduates of Jesuit edu- uh, like institutions, mm-hmm. Jesuit education, who are yeah. very like committed to the brand, um, and you know they're very cognizant of the fact that they are to be men for others. You know you hear like a lot of the boys in the prep schools, and uh, all of them have like certain prayers memorized. The prayer for generosity, mm-hmm. which you which you'll hear sometimes. You know, God grant me the grace to be generous, to give and not to count the cost, etc. Uh, so I was very I'm very much impressed by that kind of. Uh, identifiable brand loyalty yeah. so because yeah. i suppose we we have we've had dominican I mean, we have a dominican college of providence there's a lot of dominican sister schools and and then there's the, the nashville's and the and arbor sisters teach at schools but i wonder if like the Lasallians all have certain characteristics and certain prayers if you grew up in Lasallian school jesuits have their own kind of things i wonder if dominican branding has the same not yet maybe that's a domestic institute and other things are for they have to got another plug in there and they don't work with them anymore <laughs> anyway um but if there's a dominican but there is a strong jesuit branding i've always been um impressed with that uh, the expression always comes to mind uh nothing more useless than a jesuit during holy week or something and we always heard this thing now we'll get to the Je- dominican jesuit arrival in a minute it's real and it has a historical background it's it's theologically important rich um but there are these jokes and but they make this joke too they love this and i never thought it was actually true i always thought just kind of like oh jesuits of course now what that means is like holy week for a priest there's a lot of moving parts there's a lot of special liturgies a lot of extra things so there's stuff that you don't do except for once a year so it's like remembering a special special ritual uh, for once a year in something. And so being as useless as a Jesuit during Holy Week is like, it's not good. He's not paying attention to liturgy in the first place, like let alone at Holy Week. And I'd, I'd always thought, well, that, yeah, that sounds right. But I was with a Jesuit one time celebrating um, Assumption, I think it was, or something. And uh, I won't say where or who, 
Um, and, uh, and, and I was serving, I was serving and I was the third, uh, the thurifer. And so it was time for, it was time to incense the offertory. And so I wandered over to him with the thurible and he got this look on expression, like excited child. And he said, Oh, like he hadn't seen one of these for like 20 years. <laughs> and then, so I gave it to him and he looked at me and then he looked over the thing and he like pushed it at the Eucharist a few times. And he looked back at me and I said, uh-huh, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was right it was right there and wow. i've always wondered if if he like you know once you get a reputation do you just now like do jesuits actually know all this kind of stuff and then they just kind of they play up to this th sort of thing you know you walk out with a dogmatic instead of a chasuble or something <laughs> like but that was that was fantastic that was fantastic for me um yeah so uh personal experience in terms of meeting jesuits I wouldn't be a Dominican if I didn't, hadn't met the Jesuits. When I was in Oxford, uh, the guys I studied under were Jesuits, uh, largely when I was thinking about the Catholic faith. My spiritual director was a Ronarian scholar, Philip Endine, um, was a wonderful Jesuit. And, um, and I, when I converted to Catholicism, I knew I wanted to be a, a, a priest and a teacher and some pastor, if God, God willing. And so I just assumed I'd be a Jesuit. So I went on a Jesuit vocations weekend in Syracuse and Lemoyne College, one of the newer colleges in 1946, I think. and. Uh, during that time, I just didn't really feel like the Jesuits were right. And I was blown away by this because I'd always thought if I converted, I'd be a Jesuit. Um, and I asked one of the other, one of the other retreatants there. And I said, well, you know, who else, who else you're looking at? You know, it's kind of like dating kind of things. And it was always oh, saw some Dominicans up in, uh, in uh, New York. And I said, whoa, Dominicans. And that, that, from that conversation, like that's what got me Dominican. So I would say, Without that Jesuification weekend, I don't know if I would have found the Dominicans, but they're very similar in that in that way. So that's my my experience. Of course, the mission. I mean, there's no Dominican. The mission is such a great movie. If anyone's seen that, with Jeremy Irons and a uh, young Liam Neeson, uh, so and uh, Robert De Niro, mm. and it's just it's that that movie. If you don't if you watch the movie and don't want to become a priest slash Jesuit, then you know you have no soul. <laughs> Unless you're a woman, then it's understandable. But yeah. <laughs> Okay, so that's a little background of our having come to meet Jesuits, having come to appreciate Jesuits. Um, and uh, now, I mean, sometimes you'll hear it said, well, you'll hear jokes, you know, like a Franciscan, a Jesuit, a Dominican walk into a bar or something along those lines. But sometimes you get the impression, uh, the vague sensibility that maybe Dominicans and Jesuits don't necessarily agree about everything. Is there something to that? Is that just kind of trumped up nonsense? Is there other historical reasons to think that this is the case? Yeah, when I've always... I've always thought it's kind of the rivalry between Jesuits and Dominicans now is kind of like the rivalry between uh, Notre Dame and Purdue. Like Purdue wants to be Notre Dame's rival, but Notre Dame doesn't really care much about Purdue. Um, it's not, they're not really serious. Um, and I'm, I'm a Purdue fan, so it, it, it strikes me. It cuts me. Um, but Jesuits in the same way, like Dominicans make a lot of the Jesuit rivalry. And Domin Jesuits don't make a, too much of us because I think they kind of won in some ways, at least numbers wise, the institutions wise. But there was a time, there was a time when actually it was, it was, uh, we, you know, we were the powerhouses and they were the, they were just the up and coming, you know, little rascals because the Jesuits, of course, founded in September 20, September 27th and 1540. So Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, 1491 to 1556. So mid 16th century. Um, but but there is actually a real historical rivalry, which is fascinating. It's called the De Auxilius, the Congregatio De Auxilius, which in Latin 
means concerning the helps concerning the helps exactly <laughs> so a lot of them had like maids and manservants <laughs> and the dominicans wanted them to wear funny hats and the uh, jesuits should, said they should wear funny shoes and so the pope no that's not it what was the uh, what was the congregation de auxilius about so auxilium is a, a kind of shorthand for help um but it specifically refers to the help that grace affords um in choose you know like in the the kind of choice which uh, constitutes a meritorious act. All mm -hmm. right, Father Gregory, that's an extremely complicated way of talking. What does that actually mean? Uh, basically, there was confusion as to how our free will corresponds or is in cooperation with the movement of grace in the human heart. So if one is saved, it is by God's grace. If one is damned, it is by his free choice to reject the offer of that grace. But then the question is, to whom does God offer grace? grace efficient, grace efficient, and how is it that we consent to and cooperate with grace without ourselves becoming the initiators of mm. that grace movement um, so that, you know, God remains sovereign, provident, and primary cause. We remain, you know, secondary causes and subordinated to his movement. So there are different views on this matter, Dominicans saying one thing, Jesuits saying another, mm -hmm. and the two of them went at it for a long time. Yeah, it was 20, it's 50, so 1581 is when this starts coming up because of uh, Louis de Molina uh, versus de, uh, Domingo Banyas, the D Dominican, and uh, Molina was the Jesuit, and starts producing these, these questions about basically, yeah, how is God in charge, and yet we also have free will in, involving, our, involving our, our relationship with grace? So grace versus freedom, you could say, is the kind of short tag for this. Um, and it went on from 1581 until six, the decision from Rome came in 1607. So we're talking like 26 years of, of debates. And I think the final two years, there were 15 debates between Jesuits and Dominicans in Rome over this, over this particular issue. And the, Je the Jesuits were inclined towards the issue of, so with Molinas and Molinism, you might've heard if you're a fan of William Lane Craig or something, you're reading his, his works as he's a Protestant, but likes Molina. Um, is is the chant is the idea that that God freely works with you, but you have a sort of a, a causality with that. It's in this complicated system of God knows ahead of time what you would choose. He's got conditional knowledge on this, so God knows if He puts you in the situation, you will freely choose. So if God puts, He knows that you will freely choose donuts. So He puts you in a situation where there will be donuts there, and He knows you'll freely choose. So you did freely choose it, but God was the one who set it up in a sense. So He's got this special knowledge. That's a short, very, very shorthand knowledge. But the idea is that your freedom is retained, uh, in a sense, within God's the ambit of God's grace. Banyas, the Dominicans tend to take a little more, you could say, a harder line in this, and say God moves the will. He moves the will, and you could say, "Uh oh, Papa time, you know, time to play some marionettes." But I say, no, no, God, unlike everything else, moves not only not only moves something, but moves it in the manner He chooses to move it. So God moves the will freely. God moves the will; He does not coerce. He moves it freely. So He moves you to choose freely. The Jesuits are like, "That's nonsense. How can you move something from outside freely? That's a contradiction in terms." And the Dominicans are like. You've got God, how, how is your God a God? Because he's affected by things, like he doesn't know what's going to happen entirely. So I always tell people that the De Auxilius, the controversy between Jesuits and Dominicans is whether God is God. And the Jesuits say he's not, and we say he is. Um, <laughs> that's shorthand again, but that's, so it's complicated. Anyway, in 1607, the Pope rules and says, guys, ceasefire. Ceasefire. You can both hold these opinions until we make further adjustments, until we make further decisions. So like, it's a draw whether God is God 
And that seems like <laughs> something you shouldn't have a draw about. So, but anyway, if so, if anyone wants to know, like, what is the historical antecedents? It's not some like mascot was stolen or the funny hat business, but it's about the question of grace and freedom, the theology behind that, which goes central, of course, to Dominicans and Jesuit uh, theology and spirituality, which I think we want to get into. Before we do that, we now take a short break and you can look up things like congruism, Molinism, and Banyas and the four-way, three-way, and two-way highway of Lonergan's attempt to reconcile these things. So we, while we're waiting, you do that and we'll be right back. <laughs> This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. And we're back to Jesuits and Dominicans. <laughs> talked about the rivalry. Let's talk about some distinctives of Jesuits. What would you say uh, are some distinctive things that people would recognize between Dominicans and Jesuits? Sure. So Dominicans pertain to the Friars movement, which is still very monastic in its proclivities. So, you know, when you think about the history of religious life, these are all just different responses of what it means to live like the apostles. So you have the monks who wanted to live like the apostles by praying constantly, by being near to the Lord. And then you have the friars who also want to image something of the apostolic life of preaching, the evangelical life, mm -hmm. which they, uh, the apostles undertook. And then you have modern religious movements who abandon some of you know, the kind of typical monastic practices and get more engaged in the apostolate. So they would be more considered active religious, whereas what had gone before would be considered contemplative religious. Yeah. So, um, so in the case of Dominicans, you know, certain touchstones of monastic life include the choral office. So you sing the Liturgy of the Hours throughout the course of the day. We congregate for that four times a day. Um, and you have those, those five Liturgy Hours that you work through. And then other things like a habit, which is, you know, distinctively monastic. Uh, cloistered life. So there's a sense that there are parts of the house that would be cloistered from the public, but also there's a kind of gravity that the house exerts. So mm -hmm. you're expected to be home for the most mm -hmm. part, as it were. Um, silence certainly is characteristic of the life. Uh, and then a, a common, you know, life and common observance and a common penance. So this kind of sense of being thrown in together and that your lot being uh, taken up by the whole community and um, you have to, you, you kind of go to God together. Whereas by comparison, the Jesuits' life has a different shape. It's very, I mean, now this is going to be a Dominican speaking with Jesuits, but of course we talk about, uh, Jesuits are developed as contemplation and action. So as it were, Dominican has a sense of contemplating, then going and sharing the fruits of the contemplation. The Jesuit's model is to contemplate while doing things, to find contemplation in the action. So a man for others is a, a you know, a, a development of that notion of this, but a very missionary zeal. I mean, Jesuits involved, remember, this is the Counter-Reformation. So how do they... They're, Dominicans are debating, you know, the Protestants and the universities and such, and Jesuits are out storming and conquering the entire world. So Latin America and all of this, like they, they stop Protestantism largely by grabbing all the other territory and the gold, especially the gold. Um, so they're, they're an active kind of thing. So they do all their prayers in private. You know, even, even when Jesuits in a house, I mean, this is not true at all houses, but a lot of houses, even when they have the office, they won't do it together. They'll come and pray together, but in silence with each other because they have this and it's not because they're they're not interested in theology and spirituality and such or like the monastic life per se they think it's bad but because they have to be trained to be these kind of individual supermen because they're going to be assigned to do things by themselves a lot you know one jesuit you drop him off somewhere and he's got to found a school a hospital you know um uh church and then a, a renegade church and all sorts of things he's got to do a lot of this stuff so they have this development of this life and this also which is an active very very active life 
which also has to do with, with their spirituality. So you could say in a, in a way, this is your expertise, I suppose, and so check me on this, but spirituality really comes about as a theme of, of Christian religion with the Jesuits, as we know today, modern spirituality. Mm-hmm. So when people talk about I'm spiritual or something like this, it seems to me at least it's kind of all downstream of, of the Jesuits' interpretation of Christian spirituality because it has to be spiritual on the move. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think you have some movements in the two centuries preceding the Jesuits, which um, you know kind of take a turn towards the more subjective, right? Mm-hmm. You can think of um, some of the Rhineland mystics or John Reesbrook. Mm-hmm. Or the oh brothers gosh, common, I almost forgot about Reesbrook. Or the Brothers of Common Observance, or even, you know, some of these kind of late medieval, early modern folks who have, yeah, just kind of have more of the sensibilities of modern spirituality. Whereas previously, a lot of the emphasis was just kind of on the form of vita. You know, there's a certain life that you yeah. assume in a monastic or um, mendicant setting, and that that life has a way by which of shaping you. So you're engaged with the text, you're engaged with the life, you're engaged with the brethren, you're engaged with the liturgy. And in so being engaged, you yourself are shaped almost as if by a kind of afterthought, right? Yeah. So you're, you're concerned with God, um, not so much with a method of approaching God, mm-hmm. not to say that whatever, that's, that's a bad thing. It's yeah. just a different kind of emphasis. Yeah. But yeah, and that you begin to see in the 14th, 15th century, certainly with the Jesuits and then the great Carmelite tradition, that spirituality becomes a thing. Yeah, and and kind of in spirituality as an internalized form of examination. And the Jesuits do this because so when you become a Jesuit, you take the spiritual exercises, and that's the 30-day, which is different versions of it, um, retreat that you investigate with the scriptures, of course. You're spending a lot of time in scriptures and dwelling on particular events and very tactilely, so it's real sensible in thinking about that what it feels like to be at the nativity, these kind of things. So you're really, you, it's scriptural if you read the, the exercises, but the goal is to sense the movements of your spirit, to get to know yourself in a sense in relation to these mysteries. Of course, to bring yourself in conformity with Christ, right? But it's still a more internalized uh, reflection. And I think that's, so in a sense, whereas theology for the Dominican or more traditional uh, congregations and orders is sacropagina, it's in the page itself. Theology has this external kind of thing you do. You're speaking out loud and all this. Theology for the Jesuit, strikes me at least, is more internal business, a kind of conversation, almost Augustinian, kind of heart speaking to heart, kind of turning in and then up, um, but then turning around. So the Jesuit has this internal, and that develops a spirituality, where we turn inside, as we, we'd say it. So when a lot of times when you ask Dominicans what Dominican spirituality is, we usually say something like, ah, oh, we don't have one. I think that's because this spirituality as like an internal reflection of theology in our lives is something we don't generally practice. And since that is considered most, what most people think of spirituality, we're hesitant to like say we have one. Of course we have one. We have a way of practicing of the life of the spirit. It's just not in the same internal, internalized kind of way of conscious examination, self-conscious reflection, and kind of pseudo psych psychoanalysis early on. Yeah. I think, um, so I'm, I'm, I've been reflecting on this recently. I did these five weeks in Colorado with Focus Summer Projects and then the two TI conferences. And it was, you know, one of the longest stints that I've been away mm. from, uh, the, you know, like a Dominican priory. Yeah. And there are certain ways in which you interiorize the form of the life. But um, it helped me to appreciate the extent to which I'm just kind of born on by the life. Yeah. Both 
in the sense of like, so a, a contemplative life, which has elements of both prayer and study. So, you know, both in the liturgical and private devotional prayer and in the study of sacred truth, I'm just kind of like born on by the life. I don't make too terribly many decisions. My free will is highly conditioned by the environment, mm -hmm. by the brothers, you know, by decisions made for me by others to which I myself uh, contribute little, but I, I benefit honestly by you know, standing on the, yeah. on the shoulders of giants. And so like, by the end of those five weeks, I was just dragging my tired corpse out of bed and doing my best to like, you know, stay, just kind of stay, yeah, stay faithful. Yeah. Um, but, but like the kind of Jesuit paradigms that it trains you to be a juggernaut. Yeah. You know, I think about He Leadeth Me, the book by Walter mm -hmm. Chiswick about his experience during the second world war. Mm -hmm. And then having been interred many years um, by the Russians mm -hmm. and he was made, he was trained. He was raised up by the spirit to give um, marvelous testimony to what Christ can do in an individual human person. And a lot of his training was conducive to that end. You know, like he talks about the fasts that he undertook, the language that he learned, you know, like all of the prayers that he had memorized that he would recite each day mm -hmm. uh, in his cell just to kind of keep the time and keep his sanity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and they were not able to break him, though they trained all their efforts on doing so because he was made for that. Like uh, this may be like a, a false humility or like a humble brag or whatever, but like, I, I don't know that Dominicans are made for that type of thing. I think Dominicans mm -hmm. are, are they're, they're trained to a kind of virtuous dependence yeah. upon the life and upon the brethren that, that bears them on corporately towards their goal, which goal is very much focused on the mysteries, you know, Christ's mm -hmm. deeds and sufferings by which they themselves are shaped. But a Jesuit has a way of interiorizing the faith so that he can bring it with him, whether he goes to the densest forest of Paraguay or to yeah. the darkest prison of Russia. Yeah. And I think, in a way, connecting back to the that the rivalry issue. I mean, it's to me, it all flows. It, it's all connected. They're very. It's it's not a. It's it's yeah. It's not a fragmentary process. But these are all related to the fundamental fundamental grace dynamics of that. Yeah, we feel like we are born and we're not coerced into our into our life, but we feel like the externals draw us out. And we we as I feel most fully myself when I'm with other Dominicans and being again yeah as you say born along by the process of this. Uh, in this virtuous behavior. Whereas, uh, and so we're not opposed to like God working on us and that being, you know, really basically God. Whereas a Jesuit focuses on um, that kind of the freedom of the will is so important and the human dignity, you could say. And of course, Dominicans care about human dignity, of course, of course. But like theologically, the, the essence, the essentialization of, of the human dignity and the inviability of the human will in relation to vis-a-vis -vis anything, including even God's, God's grace. There must be this freedom of the will in that. And you get that sense that there's a lot of trust and respect and empowerment for the human person in Jesuit theology, in spirituality, and in Jesuit life. It's all related to that. It's kind of theological humanism, you could say. Yeah. I remember having explained to me by uh, Father Endine, my, uh, my director in Oxford, who said, because um, I, I was making a comment about how Dominicans were, I mean, Jesuits were a little bit kind of humanistic kind of thing. He said, well, look, we just take the the, the council of uh, of uh, Chalcedon really seriously from the from the bottom up, like we we believe that we believe that Christ is fully man and fully God, and a lot of people just focus on the fully God part, and Jesuits really have always focused on the fully human part that Christ and and then if we go to Christ that in humanity empowered by Christ and by grace that should be an empowered humanity as opposed to just going for the divinity. And that, that kind of, I said, well, that, yeah. And that's very, that's very Jesuit. Um, I suppose just like a Dominican can get too caught up in, in, in God and let us become puppets and maybe that, that's a, it could be an error of, of Dominicans. Jesuits can maybe, you can always err on the side of too human. Um, that's how, but 
but it, it's not aimed for that. But you can see it, it's their form of life, their spirituality, their theology, all of that. So we have, it looks like, time for maybe uh, one more small uh, kind of a wrap-up point. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe we could do like a big, a panegyric, an oncomium, um, a, a great salutation to particularly excellent Jesuits of the past or things by which you're um, very impressed. Sure. Uh, so, so what do you think? Like what most recommends the Jesuit order in the last 500 years? Well, <laughs> yeah, their, their entire existence. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, their missionary zeal is just, I mean, Francis Xavier, I mean, I get the baptizing arm. It's somewhere between what, 700,000 people are baptized. <laughs> or like, it's some ridiculous number. Like, and I, you know, I've heard 30,000. 30, I like 700,000 better. So let's go with that. A million, but I mean, maybe Peter Claver. I mean, probably, he's also up there like 300,000 people. He really? baptized I mean, yet. that kind of stuff. Cause I mean, like anyone who's done communion for large groups of people, is like, you know, body of Christ, body of Christ, but your arm's like, oh man. And then you think of like a million people. That's just amazing. It wasn't like he's not spraying people as far as I can tell, but you never know, never know with Jesuits. But that one, missionary zeal, two, the kind of, the kind of openness, the, I guess, the, the lack of fear of anything in the world. The Jesuits have, at least theologically, I get a sense as anti missionary part is that they feel like they're going to find Christ everywhere. They just, they feel like they're going to un, un, pull up stones and spend, instead of finding like centipede, centipedes and like potato bugs or something, they're going to find like something about Christ in there. And sometimes, sometimes you're going to go, which well, is kind of just a potato bug. And like, no freaking reflection of God. <laughs> um, but they're going to, so they don't, they don't fear anything, you know, Ch Chinese Confucianism, not a problem, you know, secular science, not a problem, atheism, whatever, you know, like Jesuits don't fear that kind of stuff because they feel like not only do they have revelation on their side, but they feel like they're going to come around the back and show that, Hey, you guys, you guys actually believe we believe anyway, you know, that gets of course dangerous, but it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. It's, they're fearless. They're theologically fearless people. Yeah. You and, see this reflected in what Jesuits are willing to teach by comparison to Dominicans. Mm -hmm. So you'll have some Dominicans who teach biology or mathematics or physics or, you know, economics, but for by and large, we teach the sacred sciences and there's mm -hmm. even an emphasis on teaching the sacred sciences in our constitutions. And at the founding of the order that was, put in there deliberately. So you find that Dominicans teach philosophy, theology, they teach canon law, they teach scripture, but by and large, they're, they're kind of mm -hmm. within a narrow range. Whereas Jesuits teach everything. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not only that they do teach everything, it's that they're willing to teach everything regardless of their background. Yeah. So you'll hear, um, I was in Colorado last summer with a Jesuit, Father Michael Wagenka, who's a gem, uh, who teaches at Strake Jesuit in Houston. And he was saying like a, a kind of Jesuit joke that they have is, uh, you know, like name, whatever subject, like chemistry. Oh, I don't know anything about chemistry. I haven't even taught it, you know? <laughs> so they're like yeah. rip roaring and ready to go with, with whatever. And I think a lot of their students are very impressed by, um, yeah, but what they're able to learn from a Jesuit in yeah. a setting or in a subject that they didn't think God or, you know, somebody who's consecrated to God had any, had anything to do with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, with that, we're going to wrap things up. Thanks so much for having joined us on this episode of God's Planning. If you know a Jesuit, you might share this episode with them. If you know somebody who went to a Jesuit high school or university, you might share it with them. If you know somebody who knows nothing about the Jesuits, Hasn't even you might share about Jesuits. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, you might share it with them. Or somebody who could fits none of those categories, you can still share it with them. So uh, again, thanks so much for listening. We'll look forward to chatting with you next time on God's Planning. Cheers. Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Visit us at opeast.org.